0: amen. All right, tools of the trade. The old has gone, the new has come. So the base verse for this idea of the old and the new, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. We are new creations invited into the abundant life of Jesus, experiencing transformation, being transformed. We have traded our old life for a new one. Life in Christ is not Some two-dimensional, flat, boring experience. It is every-dimensional, rivers of living water flowing from your inner being, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, taking up residence in you. We trade unbelief for faith, sin for righteousness, death for life, evil for goodness, frustration for contentment, anxiety for peace, jealousy for joy. Immorality for integrity, racism for humility, addiction for freedom, despair for hope, apathy for love, anger for wisdom, darkness for light, scaredy cat for bold as a lion. We trade and we have a new life. Transformation is about what's happening with us 24-7, not just the moments that we are here together or gathered in home group. We sometimes, however, experience and others observe a disconnect between our going to church life and our living it out selves. So how do we make the connections for transformation? What are the tools? I'm using the tool metaphor to talk about Christian practices or disciplines or habits As we access the tools, learn how to use them, become more skilled with them, we will experience transformation, connecting what we know and believe with how we live, integrating the word of God beyond our head knowledge into who we are. The transforming life is one who is growing and bearing fruit. So the tool isn't the fruit or the end product. The tool does not perform the transformation. The tool is the practice or discipline that makes the space for God to work within us and for spiritual fruit to grow. You know this in your gut. You know the tool isn't enough. Some of you have been serving God a long time, and you can say there are seasons in my life where I was doing my devotions every day. A tool but I was not being transformed. The tool doesn't do the transformation, but there are tools that we can access that can make a difference and make space for the Holy Spirit to work within us. From the Spiritual Disciplines Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun, she says, "...from the beginning, the church linked the desire for more of God to intentional practices, relationships, and experiences that gave people space in their lives to keep company with Jesus." These intentional practices, relationships, and experiences we know as spiritual disciplines. The basic rhythm of disciplines or rule for the first believers is found in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, a practice, and to the fellowship, relationships, to the breaking of bread, a yummy experience, and to prayer, another practice. All right? All right. So, so far we have talked about engaging in transforming community, confession, engaging with scripture, engaging in prayer, and last week Pastor Craig focused on words, aligning our words with God's word and using our words to agree with God's will. So each of these tools lead to specific God-given fruit, including but not limited to. Engaging in transforming community helps us work against the spirit of isolation Move from independence and self-absorption to other-centeredness and develop a relational definition of identity, becoming something bigger than just yourself. Confession helps us become aware of our blind spots, gain insight into our temptations and God's work in our life, deepens compassion towards others and their failures, And best of all, just experiencing God's forgiveness. Lectio Divina was a specific practice of engaging with scripture that I shared with you. That helps us respond to God's word with our heart and spirit, not just our rational, cognitive, and intellectual skill. And prayer is multifaceted. We especially focused on the encouragement of Jesus to not give up and always pray. The fruit from this is a deeper faith and understanding of God's constant and ready provision for his children. And then aligning our words with God's will will set us on the path of transformation. So in our text today, Jesus addresses two human attitudes towards life, greed and worry. William Arntz says, greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. Today's tools are going to help us be transformed in these two vital areas. So the first tool or practice today is detachment. Here's a really good verse to focus on when we're going to talk about detachment, and this is from the message, Galatians 2.20. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's some radical detachment going on right there. Okay. So, what's what is detachment? What here's a definition uh, by Adele Calhoun: replacing the attachment to one idolatrous relationships and two self-serving goals and agendas for success money power ego productivity and image with wholehearted attachment to and trust in god alone so the practice includes like what do you actually do to be to do detach One, naming and confessing attachments that take priority over God. Secondly, allowing others to lead and win. Letting go of image management. Letting go of notions that your money and possessions belong to you and make you who you are. Living on less rather than more. Trusting outcomes to God rather than your own capabilities. Honoring the freedom of others. Refusing to manipulate and control in order to get what you want. Detachment. So let's look how Jesus described this man in our story. And this is where I wanted you to be able to look back at the text in Luke chapter 12. So, verse 16, he says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So far, this description is all positive. It's all positive. Last week, driving home, we drove through some fertile farmland, it's beautiful to drive through fertile farmland producing fine crops. It's, it represents an investment of time, money, lots of hard work, dependence on God for good land, rain, and sunshine. There's nothing wrong with sentence one. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Verse 17 He said to himself. Now, will you pay attention to that a minute? Jesus is inviting his listeners to eavesdrop on this man's self-talk. Now, I just want to say, I am very thankful that I cannot hear all y'all's self-talk. And I am also really thankful that you can't hear mine. However, we need to keep in mind and don't lose sight of this reality. God knows the deepest thoughts of our hearts. So this man is talking to himself and here's what he says. What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know i I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry." Can you hear the attachments in that statement and how attached this man was to himself? His self-talk has no one else, including God, even considered. It's all focused on him, his possessions, his plans, his comfort. Jesus called him a fool. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? There was no tearing down of barns and building new ones. He died before any of that even happened. Jesus says in verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich Relationship with God. Our attachments, St. Ignatius called them disordered attachments, can get in the way of us having a rich relationship with God. And Jesus says we're being a fool if we let that happen. So let's look again at how Paul described this and what detachment would look like. He says he's no longer a slave to his ego. How do you respond if your ego's been pricked? He's no longer controlled by your good opinion of me. ouch, and he's not even striving to impress God. Because the reality is when we're doing that, we are attaching ourselves to a self-created concept of God in order to try to measure up unto it. We have to detach from these things. This is what Paul was doing. He was just living free in the provision of the life of Christ. He just lived free. No longer a slave to his ego. No longer controlled by your opinion. And not even trying to impress God just accepting God's love and the sacrifice of Christ. So a way to physically demonstrate detachment, and I'd like for y'all to just sit up and do this with me, is just to hold out your hands. Just hold them out, open, and then you just offer to let go. So actually make a slight movement (laughs) with your hands. Just and let go. And let go. Now, this is not a one-time practice. This is not a, a something that okay, I, I did that back on that Sunday that Pastor Brenda preached about it. We will be faced with the need to practice detachment constantly when you feel something grip up inside of you for greed and control i want to just i'm just giving you this little physical practice to do if it looks weird while you're in your office go to the bathroom or something but literally just ah i've just got to let go and practice detachment you're putting jesus first you're letting your life be crucified with him and living in the freedom that he has provided. The second tool is generosity or stewardship. Generosity describes both the practice and the posture of the heart. So a definition is the voluntary and generous offering of God's gifts of resources, time, talents, and treasure for the benefit and love of God and others. So, the practice includes a systematic, intentionally generous lifestyle flowing from love of God and others, making offerings that go beyond the tithe. Committed followers of Jesus' starting point is the tithe. Okay? Making offerings that go beyond the tithe. Living in a way that exemplifies that your life, your time, your money, your home, your family are not your own. And thoughtfully investing resources and spiritual gifts to benefit the body of Christ. Every one of you in here, including our guests, but especially those of you that this is your home church, you have spiritual gifts that God has poured into your life that are for the benefit of this church. And as you allow those gifts to flow through you, it builds up his body. And it's a part of the tool of generosity is our spiritual gifts, our open heart to allow those gifts to flow through us. All right. So let's look back. Let's look back at our text. Uh, In verse 22, it says that then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. So it's like this. He was talking to the whole crowd and told them this story about this man who thought to himself that he could store up everything just unto himself and and enjoy his own company and be his own friend and eat, drink, and be merry the rest of his life. And he said, but he was a fool and he should have had his relationship rich towards God. And then he turned. And started talking to his disciples. Okay? He literally turned and is focused specifically on his disciples during this part of the talk. Verse 23. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, he's repeating what just happened in the previous story. But he, and he's using one of the unclean birds in the, and he's saying, but your heavenly father feeds them. So even the unclean birds, they don't have to do all that work and store and and all that stuff. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds, than any birds. You are far more valuable. So don't worry. And then he says, look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Jesus is talking to his most, his closest followers and and getting to the point of worry and worth. He is trying to make sure that they understand how valuable each one of you are to your heavenly father. If God the father goes to the trouble of painting the flowers of the field, that only live for a day of feeding the birds, how much more does he care for you? I want you to soak in that. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's saying, why are you worrying So don't be afraid, little flock. That phrase, little flock, this is the only place it shows up in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are referred to as flock frequently. But Jesus, as the gentle, caring, loving shepherd in this private moment with the disciples, calls them this term of endearment, little flock, letting them know you are precious And he says, it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Do y'all want to make God happy today? Would you like to make God happy today? Receive the kingdom because it makes him very happy to give it to you. Receive the kingdom. And then he says, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to those in need. And we're wrapping it up here. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. He wants your treasure protected And he is saying that a spirit of generosity is a tool against worry. He's been saying all these things. Don't worry, don't worry. Sell your possessions. The transformed life is one who has taken on this posture of letting go. And letting flow. Does it mean that every disciple needs to sell every possession? No, that is not what Jesus said. We know that at the cross, Jesus looked down to John and said, John, behold your mother, take her into your home. John had a home to take Jesus' mother into. Others supplied Jesus out of their possessions for his ministry. It is not saying that every possession has to be sold. But it is saying we are to be generous people. We are not to be worrisome, clinging people. We are to be generous. And so in this whole discourse about worry, then he says, sell your possession and give. We are to be generous, and that will help us overcome worry. So let go and let flow. Detachment, let go. And generosity, let it flow. Let the gifts of God flow through you. I am convinced that as you choose to fully follow Jesus, it's going to show up in your finances. It's going to show up in the ratio of what you store up versus what you give up. Seeking God's kingdom first means that some other desires might have to go to the back of the line, but you'll always bear fruit when you do this, because it is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The fruit of practicing generosity is liberation from greed and selfishness, worry and anxiety, and I think it sounds counterintuitive, But living in the confidence that not even your life is your own and especially your possessions are not your own, that is a free and God-hearted life.